Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I'd like you to get your Bibles open today and open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. We'll get to that text right away here in just a moment. But uh, obviously this is the beginning of a new year for us. It's the beginning actually of a new decade, which is, it makes it kind of exciting. And, and, and here's the thing I like about new is because when it comes to our lives, God is always about the new thing, right? Uh, there used to be a song years ago, God is doing a new thing. And that's straight out of the scripture. He is up to good things and new things among us. And, uh, and far too many of us, I think, myself included at times, spend too much time allowing ourselves to dwell on or think about our past problems, our past failures, and we let those things dictate our present. We let those things speak to our present. And ultimately, we're, we're letting our past define our future. And God doesn't want that for us. He, is, he has forgiven our sins. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, listen, seriously, it, it, there are so many things we can learn from the mistakes and the problems we've had in the past. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that helps speak to our future to help us to avoid doing stupid things in the future. <laughs> you, you've ever done a stupid thing like me? Okay. But, uh, but, but, but God is not wanting us to remember those things to dwell on them or to define us or to in some way constantly be speaking, well, you had a terrible past or you, have, you did these awful things. And so we, we, we tend to carry that and God doesn't want us to. God does not want us to carry that stuff. And what God is after is that we would allow, not allow the pain from the past to keep us from finding the peace and joy that he has for us and going forward. And that's what we're going to do in Jesus' name. You ready to go forward today? Let's do it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Here we go. This is from the NIV. So now, from, or excuse me, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Boy, that's a loaded sentence right there. Regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Amen? The old is gone, the new is here. Just because I've always behaved a certain way or reacted a certain way under certain circumstances or do the things that I have done in the past does not mean that things need to stay that way. I, I don't know about you, but that is very refreshing to hear. Because I, I, I feel like I'm always in need of change. Always in need of change. And I believe change is a good idea because the new is here for us in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time in worship today and at the Lord's table and to, to share these things together as a family that we've prayed together, we've praised together. And Lord, I pray that we will learn together in these next few moments uh, of your will for our lives to, to understand that the new is here, it's here to stay, and that on top of that, your mercies are new every single morning. So thank you, God, for that refreshing that's always, always, always available. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Amen. So it was funny. I was, I'm getting ready to tell a story, and I know I've told this before. And I was thinking, I was thinking the other day, um, probably over the course of 20 years now at Praise Center, I, I, I've preached probably a thousand times. Okay, 
I don't know if that seems significant to you. It seems like, you know, wow, that's a lot of, a lot of words. Okay, I apologize <laughs> to all of you. <laughs> you had to listen. And I was thinking, you know, I've told this story before. I know, I don't know how long ago, and sometimes I do lose track. So if you ever hear a story repeated, you know, just, just consider yourself an insider then at that point. You know, just say, hey, you know. And, and, and the other thing that occurs to me it, it, when I have to retell stories I've told before is, uh, you know, I just am not that interesting. <laughs> so, so when I tell stories on myself, it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any more stories. I've run through them all. No. Um, anyway, so, so if you've heard this before, forgive me, but it, but it helps make my point today. So before I became a believer at age 15, I was a really good heathen. Okay, I'm a, I was a good one. As a kid, I was, <laughs> I had a lot, you know, and, and I had a lot of things that I did that were wrong and stupid, and, and I didn't know that at the time, uh, not, not really, although sometimes you knew you were doing wrong, but you didn't, there was like a, a thing called conscience, you know what I'm saying? that God gave every person. And so way back here somewhere that I had muted and I had seared, even as a 15-year-old kid, I was like, uh, I, had, I had just kept that thing distant, that conscience, it was trying to speak to me. And even God at times probably trying to speak to me, but I had, I had seared myself off to that. So, so I was a pretty good sinner, honestly. And um, there, there was no moral compass in my home. My, my mom, uh, you know, kind of, we were growing up in the 60s, and uh, it was the hippie era. And there was, along with the hippie era, was kind of a, uh, everything is free, you know, do what you want, don't, don't worry, just, you know, and then, and then so a bunch of crazy people go up to like Woodstock, and you know, they, they celebrate that like it was some great thing, it was like a mess up there, what a horrible, disgusting mess that was in reality, you know, I know a lot of people, oh, the music, it's like, seriously, listen to some of that, they were so drugged out and so gone, but anyway, that's another story, that's the 60s, but um, but again, the theme, it seemed to me as a kid growing up of the 60s was, do anything you want if you can get away with it. Yeah. Okay? I don't know if anybody can relate to this, if you're old enough to understand what I'm talking about, but that's just the way it was. So I was a little thief. I would steal things all the time. I was sneaky about it. I was really good at it. And then they used to have these jackets that were in style back then. I look at them now, I think, man, that is so dorky. But they were called snorkel jackets, okay? And I don't know, I think they've come back once or twice since then. They always do. But they had the little fur-lined, you know, like a little Eskimo hood, right? And it was made of nylon, and, and it was really long, okay? It really I have dirt on my knees. Hmm. Okay, anyway, I looked down at my knees. What? How did I do that? So anyway, so uh, where was I? <laughs> I'm so easily distracted. Oh yeah, snorkel jackets. I look like a dork in it, but it was massive on me. It was just this huge, like you're wearing, it was like you're wearing a sleeping bag, basically, is what you're doing, okay? You with me? Fur-lined sleeping bag. Well, this was a cheaply made one, and the pockets ripped out early on, and what it did is it opened up a massive cavity down, I'm not trying to give you ideas of how to steal, but this is what I did. So it opened up a massive cavity in the jacket all around. So one year at Christmas time, I think I was 14 at the time, uh, we were in a department store. My mom, I remember she was standing not five feet from me, and I started taking boxes of Christmas bowl, like big, like the C, what are those big ones, C9s, right? Enough to do our entire house. No, I'm not joking. And I shoved them down in all those pockets and, and, and walked out of the store. She saw me doing it. I can remember looking up, and she sort of like looked at me and went like that, rolled her eyes, but didn't say a word to stop me. That's how I was raised, people. Thank you, Jesus. You saved me out of that junk. Man. 
So, so anyway, that was my life. That's how I kind of lived growing up. It was weird. A couple weeks after I became a believer, I gave my life to Jesus again at age 15, just, just at barely turned 15. My mom uh, told me, would you, asked me, if she, she said, would you go to the store and buy us some Cool Whip for our dinner tonight? We have dessert. I said, great. And so she sends me down with the money to do it. And so I go into the store and I see the Cool Whip in the in the frozen part there, it's kind of an open thing, and I, I grab the Cool Whip, and I pick it up, and I look at the lid, and on the lid, there's like a card, there used to be like a cardboard insert inside the lid, and, and it said on the front of that cardboard thing, um, something about a 25-cent coupon on your next visit under the lid. So I read that, and I thought, I looked around, and I thought, no big deal, Right? Just peeled the lid up, pulled the coupon out, put the lid back down. 25 cents. Went up, presented the coupon, bought the Cool Whip. I walked out, and that's the first time in my life I remember feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is way different than a conscience, people. So when the Holy Spirit came on me and told me I did wrong, and you're thinking, how stupid, a little 25. But God had to deal with me at a place where I was, you understand? He was like, he's like, you can't live life that way anymore. I mean, it was simple little words. It just said, on your next visit. And probably everyone in this room would think, and you probably could get away with it. The Holy Spirit probably wouldn't bother you about it, right? It would probably, probably people think, that's no big deal. But for me, it was a big deal. I don't know what it is. God, it's like each of us get kind of connected with God in different ways, I think. It's the same forgiveness and all that. But, but, but if Lonnie was here, he would tell you, because his, he, he was very much into success. He was an adult by the time he received Christ. And he's given this testimony before, but the first thing God deals with him about is you're going to start tithing right away. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Right? It wasn't even a question, because you saved my soul. I'll do anything for you. For me, it was a thing of integrity. It was a thing of not being a little thief anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this, like, you think, that's so silly. No, it's not silly when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. So let's decide right now that we're going to listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit and obey Him at every... Because the longer we know the Lord, the more calloused we become at times to the Holy Spirit. And we miss those little things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm so, I, I, that one was so seared into me, honestly, if I ever need a stamp for personal purposes, and of course this would be expected, but I'm so intense. If I don't have money in my pocket that I can go put in the offering, I, I will not take one from the church for my own personal stuff. You understand? Not a, not a 50 cent stamp, not when they were 30 cents, not when they were a quart. I won't do it. Yeah. Do you understand? These are little things, but they all speak to the bigger idea of what kind of person are you going to be? So I want to talk to you today about a, a new way, a new way to live in Jesus. And so we're going to, our first point is this, new way. Paul starts out by saying, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In a nutshell, he is saying that people are far more than what we see on the outside. Do, do you get this? Do you understand that there's more to us than, the, than what we see or what we experience? That there is something down deep inside of every person. And every person is a spiritual being as well. Every person 
Even those who are, are, are heathens like I used to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're all spiritual beings on the inside as well. And so, so either those people are born again, spirit-indwelt people, or they are being led ultimately by other spiritual forces with nefarious intent. You know, even though somebody's not a Christian, they may still do good things. Do you understand what I'm saying? But behind a lot of what is done, you, we don't see all the underlying things that, that is happening spiritually at that point. And so, so spiritually speaking, everyone on the planet has a father. Either our father is a father God or our father is the devil. 1 John uh, 3, 8 and 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This is how we know that the children of God, who, uh, who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Man, it, I, I think we could spend like a whole year just trying to unpack that. There's so much there and it's so straightforward and it's the words of Jesus Christ to us. So when Paul is saying, don't regard people from a worldly point of view, he's asking us uh, to look deeper than what's on the surface. We understand others' uh, motivation when we recognize spiritual ramifications in their lives. Do you understand? There's, there's always more than meets the eye with people. And we have to think deeper, and we have to think more spiritually about people. We can't, we can't just take things at face value. We have to always be thinking, no, don't regard people from a worldly point of view. Think about what's really going on here. And you're going to find out, you're going to get blown away as you begin to think more about the spiritual ramifications of what's going on. So he continues and he says, we once regarded Christ this way. Now, that may sound odd to us, but let's, think, let's unpack that part. He said, what he means by that is really twofold. First of all, when Jesus walked the earth, people just took him as just another man, didn't they? Right? And, and they were amazed by the things he could do. And even at one point, Peter says, I think you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the same Peter, in a moment, would try to forbid the Son of the living God from going to the cross. And he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus recognized the motivation of Peter, right? The spiritual underpinnings of Peter was to prevent him from going to the cross. And he says, get behind me. So, so very, the, even the, those that were closest to him did not fully understand everything about who he was. So they regarded him in a worldly way. They were just regarded him as, like a lot of people today. This is how most people think about Jesus. Now, there's almost nobody that would say Jesus was not a historical figure, right? It's like unthinkable. I mean, they're, they're, these are just conspiracy theorists and weirdos that would say there was no real Jesus. Okay, there was a Jesus that walked this planet as sure as there was anything. But, but, but many people are just will stop at, well, he was a good teacher, or he was a good man, or he, you know, they'll, they'll say all kinds of things that maybe sound interesting, but if you pin them down and say, but was he the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and is risen from the dead, then they'll shut you down. They won't, and they're regarding him, if you will, from a worldly point of view or of the world. The second thing this verse means, this, this phrase means, is that even now, uh, which I just alluded to, even now, 2,000 years later, people view Jesus that way, just like what I said. He's a good teacher, he's a prophet maybe, but they don't even know what they mean by that, right? And so nobody really gets it. When we hear the good news or when people hear the good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead, and we believe and confess him as Lord, the Bible says we will be saved. And it's at that moment we become new people. And that 
it's at that point that we no longer think of Christ. Once you're saved, then you look at Christ and you realize, I'm not looking at him at a worldly point of view any longer. I see him for who he is. He is the risen Son of God. He is, the, he is God in the flesh. He's come, right? We, don't think of him, we think of him spiritually now. Before we believe, viewed him as of the world, now we do so no longer. The second point is new people. New people. It's a new, a, a new way and a new people. The, Paul continues in verse 17 again and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God. The old is gone. This is how God sees us. Do you know that? Listen, this is not just a verse. It's something we need to get ingrained in our souls. This is the way God sees you. If you're in Christ, He sees you as a new person. And not just once, not the day you received Christ. But can I tell you, every day, He sees you new. His mercies are new when? Every morning. A new set of mercies, new grace every day. That's the way it is with God. And, and so, so he's, the new, he's, the new, he, he's, a new crea- he's made a new creation out of us. And, and, and I guess I would testify, and I guess you'd probably agree with me, that if you've known the Lord for more than a week, sometimes the old stuff kind of tries to crop back up, doesn't it? Right? The old things of life, the old patterns, the old habits, they, they try to hang on. But it's critically important for us to understand that for, for every believer to understand God's view of us is different than what we actually do. Right? God's view of us, the way He sees us, is different than sometimes the things that we do. He sees me, He sees you, as the old is gone. It's all, you know. And now, but I deal with the fact daily that the old man wants to rise up and, and have his way again. It's this dichotomy of who I am in Christ and what I do. And, and this is where this Bible study that Rhonda mentioned earlier that we want you all to do is going to help us all immensely when we start on the 26th because we're going we're gonna to press into our hearts and press into our lives who we are in Christ and how he views us. And, and th- listen, once we get that settled in our spirit and in our minds, it will, it will flood the rest of our body. It will begin to permeate the rest of our, not our body, but our spirit in our whole person. And then the behavior will begin to change as well. But it's the starting place. When you understand you're forgiven, that you're holy in His sight, that God has got good things for us, that's where it all starts. God sees me as the old is gone. One of the biggest reasons people struggle with, with, with their walk in Christ is they're not settled on how God sees them. This is true. If you're struggling, I would tell you right now, it's because you see God as different than the, what the Bible is teaching. And I'm not making excuses for sin, but do you understand that, that, that I, I don't care if you've repeated the same sin a hundred times or more? And I've said this before, that, that if Jesus would expect us to forgive our brother or sister 70 times 7 in a day, how much more do you think God would forgive you in a day? How much more? And yet we're still bl- living like we're stuck. We're living like that sin defines us. And he's saying, it's a new morning. It's a new day. It's a new decade. Live like you're new today in Jesus' name. You must hear me. If you're in Christ, God does not define you by what you've done, but by who you are. Very briefly, let me just, these, this is just a, 
a snippet, if you will. There's so many things that the Bible says about us, but we'll put a little list up and you can just look at these with me. This is what he says. He says, you're a child of God chosen by him. Hallelujah. He says, you're holy and blameless before him. Bought with a price, the precious blood that we celebrated today. Bought with a price and completely forgiven of all sins. That each and every one of us have, listen, this is so amazing. We have direct access to the throne, the throne of grace. Every one of us, the Bible teaches, are free from condemnation. If you're living in condemnation, that's not of God. Every one of us is already a citizen of heaven if you're in Christ. All of us are chosen, appointed, and anointed by Him. Every one of us is a dwelling place for God Himself through His Spirit. Like, uh, and the Bible says you're a temple. You're a temple. And what is a temple a place for? It's a dwelling place for God. He, he's, you know, the whole thing with the Old Testament temple, it was just a, a representation of what was to come because God said clearly, I don't dwell in houses made with stone. But he does dwell where? In us, in houses made of flesh. What? We are his workmanship. We're holy represent, representative of his, of his to this whole world around us. We are his workmanship. Praise God. That's a short list. I could go on and on, but that's a short list. This is what God sees. When, he, when, we, when what we see of ourselves lines up with what God sees, we will see less of the old man, I promise you. The answer is not to engage the old man, but to crucify him daily. Just, right? That's what Jesus said. He said, just cru- take up your cross daily. Paul says in Galatians 2, 19, 20, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. I, don't, I crucify the old man every day by just living new to Jesus. That's how you crucify the old man. You don't even have to really try to crucify the old man. You just live a new life to Jesus. You live a Christ life, and he will be crucified. All right? And so, so, so this is how we change. This is how we become new. This is how we become new people. Sir Isaac Newton, uh, which we learned about, I think, in grade school, perhaps, maybe in high school or junior high, but, but hopefully we all learned about him. But he had these great, great laws about the physical universe. And the first law that he comes up with uh, is the law of motion. And it states this. It says, everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled by change forces imp- uh, ch- to change by forces impressed upon it. Let me do that again. Everything continues in a state of rest until it is compelled by, to change by forces impressed upon it. In other words, if you don't mess with something, it'll remain just as it is, right? You You don't touch it, it won't move. It won't go anywhere. It won't do anything. And what I'm trying to say is that this is true of us as human beings as well. It's a physical law in the universe, but it's also true of us as well. If we don't impress something upon ourselves today, if we don't decide to make some changes, if we don't decide to live with Christ displayed in us, then we're not going to change. We're not going to move anywhere. We're going to stay right where we are, and God doesn't want that. So I am pressing you today. Last week, I pressed you to be people of the Word. Today, I want to press you to live the life that God has for you. He has a great life for you. I'm discontent with myself. I'll just be real with you. I'm, I'm so happy with what God's made me, but I'm discontent with the, the, the self part of me that, again, tries to rise itself up daily, that has to be crucified daily. And I can see sometimes what God wants for me, and I've seen Him do some amazing things, but, but I want more of Him in my life. Do you? Don't you want just more of the Lord? 
I want more in my life. I want more of God in my family. I want more of God in this church. I want more of God in this community. Right? This isn't just wishful thinking. This is stuff I really think He has for us. I want to see more of God in our nation. Help us, Lord. We are in a mess right now. We are in a mess. Too often we'll make excuses for not changing. We said, well, that's the way I was raised. That's just my personality. But when we say things like that, we are making excuses for our behavior. We're resisting change. The whole message of the cross flies in the face of that kind of thinking. It's through the cross. We've become new people. Back in the late 80s, I was uh, working as associate pastor at the Ellensburg Foursquare Church, which is where we raised our young kids until we moved here in 2000. And at that church, uh, when we arrived in, in 86, I think it was, 87, 86, when we arrived in 86, the church already had a daycare that was up and running, and the daycare was a part of the church. It was sort of an opportunity for a little money, but also it was an opportunity for the church to hopefully reach some families, which did come out of that in some ways, not, not as much as we'd hoped. But, but as you might imagine, and it's even more so today, that daycares have very strict governmental rules over them and procedures and things you have to go by, and uh, gov- other gov- it was the state and other governmental agencies were overseeing it all the time. And and there was this constant need for compliance to keep it going and not be in trouble and lose our license. And so uh, all that to, to provide the background for this story, there's this little girl named Kristen. I think she was about five years old. Her pastors happened to be the pastors of the Baptist church in town, which doesn't necessarily mean anything to this story, but just, just uh, some background on this girl. But this girl was nothing but trouble. If you ever run into a kid that just everything that comes out of their mouth is snarky and mean, she was mean to other kids, she was rebellious toward the teachers, she was always, always having time out, always in trouble, and you know, as it's me, I've learned to have more grace over the years, but I used to have a low threshold, I'm like, get rid of that kid. But the, the daycare leader had this feeling and just, I don't know, she was trying to reach out to this family, this, this pastor and his wife, and what, she was such a handful. And there were many discussions that we, you know, and we, I would be on the side of like, let's ask them to not bring her anymore. This is bad because she, she was just snarky to everybody. So I don't remember all the details, but I do remember that one day, um, it, she used to, oh, the other thing she used to do was hide all the time. Right? This is great. <laughs> the big old building, and where's Kristen? Nobody knew. So we'd have to go into every room and search, and she, she thought it was cute to play hide-and-seek from the daycare workers and stuff. And it was such a, and we'd tell her time and time, Kristen, you can't do that. We have to know where you are. Well, one day, Kristen's gone again, and we're all frantically looking through the building and looking and looking and looking. We can't find her anywhere. We're, on, we're in panic mode. And while we're still looking, the police come to the building with Kristen. She had snuck out of the building and walked a mile down the road. She was like on her own, a five-year-old girl. And she had just walked away. Now that, that is so many red flags, as you might imagine, right? And, uh, and as hard as everybody tried to keep track of her, it just was a ridiculous mess. One day, after all this mess, and, and I, you know, again, I was thinking she shouldn't be here, she shouldn't be here, and then, but people kept saying, no, be, let's, let's be filled with grace. So, anyway, we kept tighter tabs on her. Her parents tried to talk to her, but she still was a rotten little girl. I'm just going to be real. One day, she showed up, and it was like, it was like a, a totally different person. I mean, like, she was 
sweet. She was helpful. She was kind. She, she was, anytime a teacher would say, Kristen, do this, she would just do it, pick up those toys, she'd do, and we're like, and after a couple days of this, I remember our, our pastor's wife looked at her and said, Kristen, you're different. What's changed? And she looked up. She was, I think she had turned six by now. She looked up at Linda and just said, I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm serious. Sometimes you're looking at these kids and you think, they, they just need Jesus, <laughs> right? You're looking at people around you you think, why are you that way? You just, they just need Jesus. Even people raised in pastor's home, sometimes they just need Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just you need Jesus. You need to change. And the only way we're going to change is when we have Christ. We have Christ. I know that everybody's salvation experience isn't uh, quite as dramatic maybe as Christians, but maybe it should be. Maybe it can be. Before, again, before I was a believer, I had, this, I had a foul mouth. I don't remember anybody telling me when I became a believer that I shouldn't say those words anymore. But after Jesus came in, I knew I didn't want to talk that way anymore because I knew it wouldn't bring glory to him. Before as a believer, I would lie at the drop of a hat. I was a rotten kid, I'm telling you. I would lie to people. I'd make stuff up. I would tell stories as if they were the real thing. And nobody knew the difference that I ever knew of, right? But, but, but after Jesus, I just couldn't tell people things that weren't true anymore. I just couldn't do it. And, and again, before Jesus, I was a thief. After Jesus, I couldn't, I couldn't even take a coupon out of a Cool Whip tub. I was a new person. I was a new creation. Old things had passed away from me after Christ. And we need to decide if we're going to listen to the Holy Spirit when He speaks to us of things that still need to be dealt with. This is not condemnation. This is conviction. And I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Finally, my last point will be brief, is a new day. A new day. Every time the calendar changes to a new year, I think Deb related to this earlier and said, you know, we... There's always uh, new resolutions we want to make and different things like that. There's always something, I think, for me, and I think of all, true of most or all of us, that there's new hope inside of things that might be different, new potential that maybe we have, and it also rises up in the hearts of God's people. It's a new day. If nothing else, you can at least say this, we're one year closer to being with Jesus, right? Whether he comes or whether we go to be with him, either way, we're one year closer to being with our Savior forever in bliss of heaven. Hallelujah. I'm all for that. So, so frankly, though, without God, the, word, the world doesn't have much to celebrate for New Year's. Uh, from a merely naturalistic uh, human standpoint, the earth is just continuing to move around the sun. It's just a big circle it's making. And just the fact that somebody arbitrarily, if you will, chose a certain day to be the day we mark a new orbit... It's really, from a naturalistic viewpoint, that really isn't that significant, is it? Yeah. The, the earth really, you know, it's, it's like, oh, it's a new year. Well, nothing really has changed. It's just, it's just the earth moving around. Without, if you don't believe in a creator, the, the idea of a new season, a new year, it's really kind of meaningless, honestly. Yeah. And we make these resolutions and we try to keep for a while, but most of us revert back to our old ways, don't we? Come on. And most of the time we make resolutions because we want to change things that are external. We want to say things like this. We want to lose weight. I want to maybe quit smoking or quit some other habit. I want to find a new job. I want to get fit. I want to spend more time with family and friends. These are all things that can be seen. Years ago there was a show on TV, uh, Extreme Makeover. You remember that show? Is it, is it still running or anything? I don't know. Um, but on this show, it never interested me. I thought it was 
kind of freaky. <laughs> but uh, but R- once in a while, Rhonda would watch it. And one time, I remember Rhonda and I were sitting at the table working on something, and the TV happened to be on, and she was at a place on the table where she could look and see the TV, but she was doing something, and I was uh, trying to ignore it pretty much. And um, so anyway, they, they would take, I think, mostly women. Uh, I don't know if there were men, and I don't remember, but they would do this complete makeover on them, no surgery or anything, but they would, they would just change their clothes, their hair, their makeup, a whole bunch of stuff, and then they would uh, put, them, put them back out there before and after pictures. You with me, right? And so, so one night, Rhonda's sitting there kind of watching, half watching, half not watching, and she, she all of a sudden just starts like, whoa, whoa. She starts, and so now I'm like, okay, I have to look. And they showed this before, and you were like, oh, my goodness. This, it didn't, you know, it's just amazing. You looked at this middle-aged woman who suddenly looked 10 years younger. She looked really good, and, uh, you know, I have to be careful how good I think she looked, but, you know. But no, I'm, I'm just being real. She, was, she looked amazing after she had some, work, some, some stuff done. It was, it was just some, some little things, really, if you think about it. it. Reminded me of a story I heard years ago about the man who, who, who lived in the backwoods of Kentucky, and, and he and his wife and son went to the big city for the first time. They went into this giant mall, and they were just amazed by it, looking around at all this stuff. And, and, uh, and uh, the, uh, the, there was, in front of them, there were some doors, and... Uh, the, the doors, uh, it was an elevator, but they didn't know, and, and the, the doors opened, and, and out walked this beautiful woman, just began to walk out and walked away from him. The man turned to his son and said, Billy, go get your mother. I didn't say it right? I love that joke. What did I miss? That's it. I try so hard. Oh, an old lady went in the elevator. That's it. <laughs> See, I can edit this on the recording, so all the people who listen to this. Yeah, no, no. But anyway, I'm kidding. That was poorly done. It's one of my favorite jokes, and I messed it up. Old lady goes in the elevator. Beautiful woman walks out. She says, go get your mother. Okay. How about a mercy laugh? Thank you. Thank you. But here's... Okay, Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. People laugh just because they thought he thinks he's funny, but he's really not. Okay. Here's the deal. We do need a transformation. Not something to get us all excited, some new phrase or catchy slogan, but we really need transformation. An experience with God that will be lasting and, and that would help us mend marriages, broken homes, to strengthen the church. We need a move, God to move upon us in a way to bring holiness into our lives so we stop getting entangled in the ways of the world. We need to manifest the glory of God as we've been talking about worship in our, in our congregation that God's glory would be manifest among us. We really need God among us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on back up. These, I have two verses I'm going to share in my conclusion, hopefully very quickly, but but they both speak of transformation. Fascinating. Debbie shared one of them already, but I'll reread it. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is how we really worship God is when we offer ourselves to Him. And then the verse that she brought up, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, everybody say, transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word for transformed is metamorphuo, 
which is where we get the word metamorphosis. You might remember from biology class that metamorphosis is the process by, by which an animal be, uh, of some sort becomes, uh, it changes in some way. It transforms from one state to another state. Now, listen carefully about this. The, the butterfly, when it becomes a butterfly in the cocoon and then comes out, does not get a new set of genetics. This is important. It genetically, if you took a sample of the worm, all right, or the caterpillar, and you took a sample afterwards, you'd say that's the same creature, exactly. Okay? It's, a, it's the same creature. The, genetically, the butterfly is that same as that wormy caterpillar. When we come to Christ, the old us is crucified. Now Christ lives in us. The old is passed away, which is a euphemism for dead. The old is dead. So we have a new, new person. In, we are spiritually, in, we have a spirit, new spiritual genetic code, if you will. Okay? It's the Christ code. And so the metamorphosis, the transformation, the change for us as believers is simply becoming, this is very important, you listen carefully, us becoming what we already are. Tracking? See, God already made you a new creation. If you're not acting like a new creation, the answer isn't out there someplace. It's already in here. It's just God getting through. It's God getting through. Becoming on the outside what we already are in the inside. You say, no, you don't know my inside. Yeah, if you're in Christ, your inside is clean. Your inside is holy. You are a child of God. The Son of God, the Holy Spirit Himself dwells in you. We just need to let Him out. And this is something we don't get. We oftentimes don't get it. We, we, we really are, if we are in Christ, we are new. There's a couple of old songs that we, we've sung in the past and one that still comes up from time to time. Isaac Watts wrote a song at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. There's a line in there that said that he would give his sacred head, speaking of Christ, and he, he finishes by saying, for such a worm as I. For such a worm as I. John Newton uh, writes the, the song Amazing Grace, which is probably one of the most beloved hymns that's ever been written. And he has a line in there that saved a wretch like me, that saved a wretch like me. And these songs are great, they are. As long as we understand that a worm and a wretch is what we used to be. It's not who we are anymore. Okay? So, so if you're singing, oh, I'm a wretch. No, I, I, he saved a wretch, past tense, like me. I'm not a wretch anymore. I'm a child of God. Do you understand? Point to yourself and say, I'm a child of God. Say, I'm not a wretch. I'm a child of God. Amen. It's okay to sing songs about what we used to be, but we need to understand who we are now. You're not a wretch. You're not a worm. Men, just bear with me. You're a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> One more verse. I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being, and here comes that word again, transformed, metamorphosis, into His image. We're becoming more like Him with, I like this, ever-increasing glory ever-increasing glory. We're gaming more and more like Him every day, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's coming from within. He's already in us. It's going to get out there. This is the principle of Scripture uh, that is, 
there, there is a principle in Scripture, excuse me, that says you become like the thing you worship. Right? If we want to be more like Jesus, guess what the path to that is? Worship Him more. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.